but what is worship, right? We hear that word all the time. It's something we definitely partake in uh, within uh, junior high ministry and within the church, right? We come and we worship. It's something we're very uh, acquainted with and familiar with. But what is, for you guys, the first thing that pops into your mind when you think about worship? When I said it, when I said it just a few moments ago, when I said worship, what, do you, what is the first thing that you guys think of? Sing and dance, songs, what else? Praising, all right, church, what else? Yeah. What was that? Giving offering, all right, sweet. We'll be talking about that a little today. God, you think of God when you think of worship, for sure. But what does the word worship actually mean? And we're going to look at, just take a second to look at it. Uh, There are a handful of words uh, within the Old Testament and the New Testament that mean worship. uh, There's... You see, English is different because we typically only have one word to describe one thing. But in other languages, uh, they have multiple words uh, that mean a little bit different from each other, but they all describe a similar concept. And in the Bible, uh, the, worship, the word worship is seen in all kinds of different forms. But uh, whenever you see the word worship in the Bible, it typically means something along the lines of this. It uh, means to bow or to prostrate oneself as a physical act. Now, you're like, what, what does prostrate mean? Well, it means to uh, physically lie down with your forehead uh, on the ground before somebody, to bow. And this is very uh, different for us because within our culture today, we don't bow before people. It's not something we normally do. But it, when you bow before someone, it shows an act of allegiance. It shows honor. It shows that, that you're giving reverence or respect towards uh, that person. And so this is what it means, this is what the word worship means. When we say that uh, I'm a worshiper of God, it means that I bow down before him and I put him at a place higher than myself, right? No one ever bows before someone who's lower than them. Uh, back in the day, right, we don't understand this concept too well in our culture, but back in the day, people would right, bow before a king or bow before a certain royalty. And what did that show? Why did they bow? Because they were showing them honor. They were showing that, hey, you have a place and a position within my life, and I bow to your authority. You guys can understand that, right? Within our culture, I was trying to think, well, what what is something that that we, in a sense, show allegiance to? And that's the flag, right? You you guys have all, I'm sure, uh, done the, the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, that's not a perfect illustration, but I think it shows that when you recite the the rhyme or whatever it is that I, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. You're, you're confessing with your mouth that this, this flag resembles and ha- is a symbol of something greater than yourself. And you're submitting to its authority and you are showing allegiance. Now in a much greater way that when we worship God, it's a similar concept that we're, that we're pledging allegiance to him. And that we're worshiping and we're giving him the rightful place that he deserves in our life. So worship is not just song. It's not just the strum of a guitar here at church. That worship means uh, to bow down before him. And we've seen this, you can see this in the Old Testament. You guys, I'm sure, are familiar with Daniel chapter 3. There's a story in there. Maybe you're not familiar with the reference, but you're familiar with the story. There's three guys that Daniel chapter 3 talks about. And it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, And they're famous uh, for one particular thing, and that one particular thing is to, that they, wouldn't, they were not willing to bow before any other god, 
right? The king uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he uh, sets up this huge monument, and uh, it's, it's a false god, and he commands everyone uh, within the nation to bow down before this golden image. It was, a, it was an image of we don't really know what it was, but he wanted everyone to bow down. He said, this is your God now, and you're going to worship. And you see, uh, worship is closely related with this concept of bowing down. That's why these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they worshiped only one God, they were not willing to bow down to any other. Does that make sense? You guys know the second commandment? Does anyone know the second commandment in the Bible of the Ten Commandments? Any guesses? Yeah. Totally, right? Don't, have, don't set up any false gods within your life and do not, but within that commandment, if you look, it says do not bow down to any other created thing. That the only thing that you and I are to bow down to is God. That he is the only one that we are to submit ourselves to in this way, that we are to show allegiance to. And in Psalm 95, verse 6, I think it, it, it describes worship perfectly. It says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is God, for he is our God, so shows a relationship and possession. And it says, And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You see, there's this, as you, as you look at this verse, it says, let us come and worship and bow down to him. He says, let us kneel before our maker. You see, to truly worship is to come in a way that you would be willing to say, God, you are the ultimate authority in my life. You made me. You are my maker, and I'm going to give you the honor that's due to your name, that you are my God. What does it mean when you call God yours? When you call any, anyone the God of your life, whether that's the God of the Bible or something else, means that that now God dictates what you do in your life. And for us, when we come to worship, it shows that similar thing, that, that he is the one who calls the shots. It shows that allegiance, it shows that relationship, and it shows that position that he is above us. You guys clear on the word worship? It makes sense, right? That, that concept of bowing down. But what does that look like, though? Are we supposed to just live a life just that we're always supposed to be bowing? We're just supposed to walk around like this? Make sure that our head is never, you know, no. Right? We're not supposed to be bowing in that way necessarily. Now, there are certain times within our lives that, man, I know I can look in my life and there's times where I just need to get on my face before the Lord and I have to physically bow. But we're going to look at about in a little second that it's not just a physical thing. But first, what does worship look like in our life? Is it just the music? No, worship qualifies uh, anything that is done for the Lord as an act of giving reverence towards or honor towards or respect towards. Colossians chapter 3, look, look at it on the screen with me. Verse 17 and 23, though they don't say the word worship, describe what our life can look like as a life of worship. It says, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It says that whatever you do, whether whatever words you might speak or deeds or actions that you might do, you can do it in Jesus' name. Meaning, whenever you hear the, the word in Jesus' name, it means that that you would know that God would put his stamp of approval on that action or on that deed. The other verse in Colossians 3 says, and whatever you do, do heartily, or meaning with all your heart as to the Lord, that it's not just the, the things that we think about when we think about worship, whether it's uh, serving at church or whether it's 
literally with a guitar and we're singing here, whether it's opening up God's word, that there are other th- ways of worshiping. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, uh, makes it very simple. It says, therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It says, whatever you do, you can do it for God's glory or giving God worship. And I love how simple it is. What does it say? It says, eat or drink. That is something we do daily. That is something that is very simple to us as humans. It's something we need. Yet God says that you can even eat food and drink whatever you might do to God's glory. What is that showing? Showing that any action or any deed or anything at all can be towards the Lord. It can be for him. Some examples. I mean, we, we know the obvious ones, right? Singing and music, that, that can be worship towards him or what we said, serving at church or outside the church or sharing Jesus with someone or reading the Bible. But it's, it's even the simple things. It's, you, can, you can get, if you guys are going to lunch after this and you go to In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A, you can get that chicken sandwich or that hamburger and you can eat that to the glory of God. Well, how? Well, you pray beforehand and you thank God and you recognize that this is from him and you can do it in a way that gives God glory. And that's with the most simplest things in our life. Remember, you guys are the temple of God, the Bible says. He says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, the temple was a place back in the day that people came to worship. The temple really had one purpose. It was a place that they could meet with God and they could honor him. Back then, it was through sacrifices and different things like that. But now he says he turns to us and us as believers, he can look at you and say, you are the temple of God. You are where worship takes place. That is not about a location, that anywhere and everything you do in your body, your physical body, is that temple, that God himself dwells in you. And so the simplest of actions of of walking, you can walk to God's glory. You can give him worship. Why? Because you are a walking church, in a sense. You are a walking temple. You are where God dwells, and you can give him honor in all of your ways. That we are his, and we are to give him honor in everything we do. It's awesome. And so we see this concept of worship. We see we can understand what the word means and we can realize that it's not just about the music, but music is definitely a way that we can come and we can worship. It's an awesome way that we can do it. And so today I just want to take the next few minutes of sharing with you guys two different ways that that we come to church and worship together in. And one of them is music. One of them is singing. And the other we'll look at uh, is, is giving. And so we'll look at this first, this first point today with uh, worship with music. Why music? Why singing? Why, why is this the intentional time? Why do we call this worship as we do? As, it, as the name fits it well, for sure. But why? Well, the Bible uh, clearly dictates uh, all over that this is what God desires. This is what he wants. And honestly, it's an, it's an action and it's a, it's a way for us that should come out of a place of joy. I just want to give you two Old Testament examples where worship came out of an awesome experience. Exodus chapter 15, 1 through 13, this, this scene describes right after the, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. I mean, think about it for a second. Think about being uh, the, the people there in Israel have been going back and forth with Pharaoh and there's all this chaos and all this craziness and then finally they get to the Red Sea but then a Pharaoh and his men are coming behind them, and then all of a sudden the sea parts, and so they go through it, and then uh, once they get through, then the, the Egyptians try to come through, and God delivers them, and the water comes crashing on them. And so now they're on the other side of the water, and what do you think they're thinking? What emotions do you think are going on in their heart? 
They're excited. Oh my gosh, this is amazing that we're free now. And so out of that comes worship that you see in Exodus chapter 15. You see what uh, the Bible calls the song of Moses. And it's just a song that gives God all the glory. That really the song, if you look at it, it just gives God all the credit and it's thanking him and it's saying how good he is. And then it says that Moses' sister uh, says that she takes the timbrel, which is just a type of instrument. She starts dancing and they're just excited that it wasn't this orchestrated thing necessarily, that it came out of a of a heart of celebration and joy and thankfulness. And this is what worship is. This is how we can express it towards God. You see, singing is just a way of expression, that prayer is worship, but singing is just a different way that we can do it. It's, an, it's a sweet way. In 2 Chronicles 5, 12 through 14, uh, it says something a little bit similar, that it talks about uh, this worship that came out of a heart of joy, and it talks about in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, uh, right after the temple had been built. You see, the temple uh, being built was a huge thing for the people in that day. That for so long that they would come and they'd have to meet in what was called the tabernacle, which was like a tent. But the temple was something that they were building for years and that everyone within the nation was involved in in some way or another, whether financially, whether they were helping build it, that the temple was known as one of the wonders of the world. This was like something they never have ever seen. That still, if you, if you know anything about the temple that was built back then in Solomon's day, it's insane. The, the rocks that they used to build this temple, that they, that they hewed out of different rock quarries, and they hewed out these ginormous rocks and then placed them one on top of another, and this is how they built the temple. But it's amazing because the technology that they used, which was wood and rope, and we don't even know how, we don't know how they move these rocks. Because our modern day technology with our cranes and everything that we have, they, we cannot move these rocks if we wanted to. That there is no technology that we have in 2018 that could do it, yet they did it. Why? Because God's hand was in this whole thing. This was exciting. And finally, the day of the, the temple is unveiled in a sense. And it's the dedication. And, and what happens? The Bible talks about how there's all these different trumpets and the different priests who normally were doing, uh, you know, different priestly duties, that they were musicians that day. That it says that there was 120 trumpets and all kinds of instruments. They were celebrating God. They were celebrating what he did for them. And you see, worshiping with song and instruments was completely connected with the joy and celebration of what God did. And then you see in the book of Revelation, have you guys ever read Revelation before? Yeah, it's, uh, some of you, uh, it definitely can be an intimidating book, but it's awesome. It shows the end. It shows uh, we get a little scene into heaven. And if you look, if you know the book at all, throughout from Revelation chapter 1 all the way to 22, whenever any created thing is in, within the presence of God, guess what it's doing? It's worshiping. It's singing or its head is on the ground uh, for absolute reverence because being in the presence of the Lord in that way any created being, even if they don't believe in God, they will confess. Their knee will bow, and they will give worship to him. But music does have power. You might say, well, why do we have to do music? Why do there have to be instruments? Well, it's honestly, I think it's just fun. It's cool. It's a, it's a sweet way to express our love to God. But honestly, there is power in music. Think about it. I don't know who's a big music fan in here. Some of you guys, some of you guys have your iTunes playlist and your Spotify and, and your music is sometimes an escape for some of us. 
But God has made music very, in a way that's very sensitive to our soul and to our spirit, that it's able to connect us in a way that nothing else can. That's why there's concerts in the way that there is. I mean, it's insane the, the amount of concerts that there are. Why do, why do so many people go to them? Because there's power in music, and there's power to influence, whether for evil or for good. That the music that you listen to does have effect on, on, your very, on your very spirit. And this was evident in 1 Samuel chapter 16, where it talks about how Saul, King Saul, had a distressing spirit upon him. And it was from the Lord, but it was, he was anxious, and it was, uh, it was very hard for him uh, to, even, to even be living. And so when this happened, it says that David would come, and, and he had a harp, and that he would play music, and it would be soothing to Saul, and the distressing spirit would leave. You see, for whatever reason, God has made music to be very powerful in our life. And that's either for evil or it is for good. Here it's obviously for good, but though our lives are to be full of all kinds of worship, like we were talking about, singing here at church in this way is just an intentional, intense focus on it. That though we're supposed to be worshiping Monday through Saturday, that when you come Sunday and here at church, it's an opportunity without distraction, without being the distractions of the life. I mean, of, of life are insane, and, and it's just an awesome way that we can do that. But how we talked about at the beginning, how worship is bowing, then some of you might be thinking, well, if, if worship is bowing, then why do some people raise their hands? What do you guys think? Why do, why do people raise their hands in worship? Yeah. It's another sign of worship, for sure. It's another way of expressing it, but why? Why, why, is, why is raising your hands? It's like, do you have a question, or what's, what's going on? Why the raising of the hands? Yeah. Closer to God? Closer to God? Yeah, yep. Surrender. Surrender, for sure. Yeah. Reaching out to him. See, there's no necessarily specific, you can't go and find a verse in the Bible that says, this is why we raise our hands. Now, there's examples in the Bible that I'll share with you right now that talk about raising your hands. Um, but I think there's several different reasons, um, and I think there's some that I could maybe not even think of, but it's really, it's like he said, it's a form of expression. She said, she talked about surrender. That is something I do in worship occasionally. Um, it's not right when I hear worship, I don't just, okay, I got to raise my hands, and I got to keep them raised the whole time. Okay, my arms are getting tired. This is, this is tiring. No, but in those moments of, of expression to God, and I want to reach out to him, it's, it's surrender, it's, it's whatever it is. Because think about you and I. We're, we're very limited, right? We can't fly, we can't do certain things. And uh, one of the most expressive ways we can do is just stretch out our body. It's just, God, uh, I don't know. Take, take me, Lord. This is, this is all I got to offer. I don't have anything else. But in the Bible, in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6, it talks about raising the hands, but it also talks about bowing to the ground. It says, and Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God. It says, then all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see, there is no right position within worship. It's however you feel led. That it, it shouldn't be this calculated thing. Okay, this has been a minute into this song. I'll raise my right hand and then, okay, this is the second song. Okay, now I'm going to raise my left hand, and then I'll put it down. And then, okay, in this next song, it talks about bowing, so I should bow. And it does, it's not this calculated thing. It's that as you are connecting with the Lord within worship, if you feel led to raise your hand, cool. If you feel led to 
uh, sit down on your chair and just pray and think and praise God, do it. If you feel led to bow your head to the ground, do it. You guys are more than welcome to do any uh, way that you feel to express your, yourself to God. That's not distracting to others. It's awesome. It's a good thing. Lamentations chapter 3 also uh, explains this, but I, I love the balance that it brings. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40 and 41 says, Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. And he says, Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. What does it mean? How do you lift your heart? What do you guys think? How do you lift your heart? What is he talking about? You see, he's talking about an inside thing. Is he, is he saying that we're supposed to like lift our heart? Like, okay, God, here's my heart, here's my hand. No, right? When it says lift your heart and your hands, you see the expression that's coming on the outside is only what should be happening on the inside. Because worship that we're gonna look at right now is a spiritual thing. That these different positions and postures they're only a way to aid what is going on on the inside. True worship to God is not about the position or the posture, and it isn't about the location or language that you use. True worship is really just a matter of the heart. And this is what Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 15. And he was speaking uh, to a group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were very good with their words. They knew all the right answers, they're very good with their positions in worship, in a sense, yet their heart was not right, and Jesus called them out on it. And we see in Matthew chapter 15 that he calls them, what does he call them? He calls them hypocrites. Why? Because though they were saying all the right things with their mouth and saying we're worshiping God, their heart, it says, was far from them. It says, hypocrites, this is Jesus speaking, he says, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you? So he goes to the Old Testament, he says, this is, this is talking about you guys. And he says, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips so they know the right words or they sing the right songs, but he says, their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me. What does it mean in vain? It means that it's empty, that it, they're singing, but God ain't hearing. You guys good back there? Noah, you cool? Cool. You could just pay attention for me, that'd be great. But right there, they're saying all the right words, yet... Their heart is so far from God. And sometimes we can come to worship and we can be singing, and you might be singing the whole time, but is your heart in it? Are you doing it to actually give God honor? Are you doing it in a sense, are you bowing your heart before the Lord? Because worship is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. And in John chapter 4, uh, we see this. You guys ever heard of the story of the woman at the well? Yeah, it's, it's an awesome story in John chapter 4. I totally encourage you guys to go read it in its entirety. But right, Jesus is, is there at the well, and this, this Samaritan woman, meaning uh, Samaritan, she was, a, she was a half Jew and half uh, whatever else, and they were, they were separate from the Jews. That though they lived in the land of Israel, that they had their separate locations. And so Jews were not supposed to talk with Samaritans. Samaritans were not supposed to talk with Jews, and they were separate. Yet Jesus is here at the well talking to this woman at the well, and they exchange all these different things back and forth, and then it comes to a place where she says, look, Jesus, I know that we worship here, here in Samaria, and we have our place and where we come and worship God, but you Jews, you, you have the temple in Jerusalem, and, and you worship God there, but I don't know who is right, and, and, and Jesus answers her and says, says this, in John chapter 4, verse 23, he says, 
He says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. And God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You see, he changes her thinking. He says, it's not about a location. It's about a motivation. It's not about a location. It's about a motivation that, that we see here that God does want us to worship. He does. He desires our worship. He says that the Father is seeking those who would worship in spirit and truth. But what does that mean to worship in spirit? I mean that it's not, though there might be physical acts by singing or by raising your hands, that it is a spiritual thing going on. And you must be able to connect with that, meaning you must be born again. That in order to be spiritual, you have to be spiritual. What, is that, what does that mean to be spiritual? It means it's not a physical thing. That, that God's spirit is in us, and so we're able to connect with him because of his spirit. You see, someone who maybe doesn't be- believe in God or doesn't have faith and has never come to that, that point of salvation, they could, they could be in church, which some believers are, or some people are, that, that they come to church but they don't believe and they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. They're not able to connect with God like you are if you're saved. Why? Because God's spirit is in you, and the Bible describes that that your spirit and his spirit are able to connect. And you're able to reach him in a way that no one else can that doesn't have his spirit. So it's, it's a spiritual thing, but it's also, he says, to worship in spirit and what? And truth. That it has to be something real. What is truth? Truth is something that, if you, if you tell the truth, you're telling something that actually happened. Right? If you tell a lie, then you're lying. It didn't, it didn't actually happen. And so there's a, an element to the truth that, it's, it's the reality. And so the songs that we sing should match up to the lives that we live. That we could come in here week after week and we could say, uh, all hail King Jesus. We could say, I love you, Lord. And we could say, sing all the different lyrics, but it has to be in truth. Do you actually mean the words that are coming out of your mouth? You see, true worship has to be true. It has to be legit. It has to be from your heart, that it can't just be a lip service. I mean, you're just, you're just saying things and going through the motions. That God desires you to worship him in truth. That if you say, I love you, Lord, within all the different songs that we might sing, then on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, your life should reflect that, that you actually love him. You see, worship is not like a, uh, um, a time card system. You guys probably don't know what that is, but I had a job. I worked at, actually worked at Pump It Up for a little while. You guys know what Pump It Up is? Can you see me working there? Yeah, I can't see me working there either. But I was, uh, I was the different, I was the party cleanup. So once everyone would come in, I'd clean up the whole mess. I was not one of like the coordinator party fun people. Uh, that was a little too out of my element in high school. But there, you, you get to work, and you have a little card, and it has your name on it, and it has different uh, slots. And you basically, you put it in the little time clock, and it punches it. And it punches what time you got there, and then you do it again before you leave. And that's so that, you know, the employer can pay the person uh, so that you'd be able to get, to get paid. And they would know when you're there and when you're not there. You see, but worship shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be we come in here, and we say, okay, we got four songs of worship, I'm going to sing, I'll try to mean it from my heart, and then I'm going to leave, and then I'm good to go. Know that this is, this is a sweet time to meet with God, that you can worship anywhere and everywhere, and it doesn't just have to be hearing song. That you guys say you like music, right? Well, on the iTunes and Spotify, you can get worship songs. You can get the songs that we sing here, and you can go into the, the privacy of your own bedroom and just 
play the worship song. You just lay on your bed and, and, and think about it and, and worship God in that way. You don't just have to raise your hands here at church. You don't just have to sing here, that it can be anywhere. And so, uh, I don't know, I just want to encourage you guys. Don't miss out on this special thing of, that we provide for you guys. That's only once a week or twice a week if you come to Wednesdays. But it's a sweet time to meet with the Lord. And so that is a definitely a way of worship. Uh, that is what we normally call worship, right? But there's another way, and, and uh, Isaiah said it earlier. He said in giving offerings or tithe. And so the, the other way that I want to talk with you guys real quick is about uh, giving with our money or giving with our possessions. And within the Old Testament, uh, you see uh, the word tithe come about. It means tenth. And you're like, well, why does it mean tenth? Well, there is different things set up for the, for the Jews to be able to give back to God. You see, God gave the Jews everything. He gives us everything too. But specifically, he, he raised up this nation so everything they had was God's. But God set up this, this thing called tithe and, and different offerings or different burnt offerings and different things where people would come and with, whether they would bring their money or they would have their gardens and so they would bring different things from the gardens and they would offer it to God. And it was just a symbol. It was a sign that, God, I confess that what I have is not my own, that you let me have it, but I'm going to give a portion back to you. And these different offerings that were there, I'm sure you guys are familiar, that different animals would die. You see, those animals that they would offer to God, they were theirs, that they were their possession, and they would have to give that up. And it was a sign of worship. But within the New Testament, that it's not required. You see, in the Old Testament, these things, this was law, that for for them to be able to be on right standing with God, they had to do it. That they would be robbing God otherwise. But I love it because in the New Testament, it's not a requirement. It's an invitation. Giving to God is not a requirement. He does not say, you must do this. You have to do this. No, he invites us to be part of something greater. He invites us to be part of his work. You see, God has a master plan. And it's awesome. And it's going forth right now. And it's happening as we speak, that the gospel is going out and people are being added to the church and it's what you call kingdom building. And God's building his kingdom, but he invites us to be part of it. And one of the ways that he invites us to be part of it is not just to share the gospel, but to give towards the furtherance of the gospel. And that's what happens when you give a tithe or an offering, meaning you just, you just give something that you have and you give it to God. Specifically, we're talking about money. But there is a passage I wanna share with you guys from the New Testament, and it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you guys could turn there, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's in the New Testament, it's after 1 Corinthians, if you guys can guess. Uh, it's right before the book of Galatians, but if you guys could turn there real quick, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6, and we'll read uh, just verse 6 and 7. Give you a minute to turn there. Second Corinthians chapter nine verse six says, "But this I say: He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly." Meaning, he who gives a little bit, he will also receive a little bit back. And it says, "He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully." Meaning, he who gives a lot will receive a lot back. See, there's this principle here that he says, the more you give, the more you will get, whether that's here in this life or the life to come. This is a principle that God says to test him in, that he says, 
you give to the poor, he says, it's like you lending to me and I will return to you double fold. Meaning I will, you give a little bit to the poor that, that when someone comes and asks you and say they, they need some money for lunch that day and, and, you, and you give it to them, God says, I see that and I know that and I see you giving to them in that way and I, and I contribute it as you're giving to me, that you're lending to me and I will pay you back with interest. I will pay you back even more than you gave. Maybe that's not in money, but it is in blessing. And then verse seven, he says, so let each of you, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves someone who loves to give. And you might be saying, I don't love to really give. I, I, my allowance, it's small, and I don't really want to give any away. Well, that's okay. You choose. But I would encourage you guys to give something. But it says, you choose. He says, as, some, as one purposes in his heart. That means to, to you that you get to choose the amount. Uh, have you guys ever gotten a gift for someone? Yeah? Raise your hand if you've ever gotten anyone a gift. That gift, were you able to choose what you got that person? Yeah? What would it be if someone said, I, hey, I want you to get this for me. Can you get this for me? And then you give it to them. What, was that, what would that be called? That'd be called a shopping list, right? That'd be called a shopping list that you go and get for them. But a gift is something you get to choose. And so as we give to God, you get to choose it. You get to choose whatever it might be, but do give. Because we just saw that verse that the more you give, there is a blessing in that. And that's just the reality. But more isn't necessarily talking about the amount. It's talking about the quality. You guys know the story of the widow's might, right? You see these, these Pharisees with lots of money, and they, they're pouring in so much. And Jesus is watching, and they're pouring in so much of their own money. Yet compared to how much money they had, it wasn't that much to them at all. Then you see this widow who says that she put in her livelihood. She put in these two mites, which was barely anything, but it was all she had left. And you see Jesus saw that and saw her heart. It's just like worship, singing is a matter of the heart, giving is a matter of the heart, and and God wants someone to not be grudging about it, but to be cheerful. And you're like, what is grudging? It just means to, to do something and then immediately be regretted or have regret uh, because you did that thing. And so as the bags come around for the next few weeks, uh, tithing is something we, we want you guys to do. We want you to be a part of. We want to give you at least the opportunity. And so the bags will go around, not today, uh, but starting next week. And you guys will have the opportunity, but as you put in maybe your dollar or your 50 cents or your nickel, it doesn't matter how much, as you put it in, if you're, if you're going to complain right after you put it in, just don't do it. You see, God doesn't need your money. He invites you to be a part of his work. And so if you're going to put in that dollar and then be like, man, I, I wanted that dollar for ice cream from the ice cream man, but now I can't get it, then just don't do it. Just keep it and figure out an amount that you're comfortable with and that the Lord's telling you to do. But he says to, to not do it out of necessity. It's not required, but God does want you, to, want you to try it out. And this is something he says to test him in. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, uh, we, won't, we won't turn there today, but this is the one thing God says to test him in. You see, the whole Bible, uh, there's different parts in the Bible that God says, don't test me, meaning don't tempt me, don't try me. Like Jesus, when... when, uh, when um, Satan was tempting him, and he said, hey, just jump off the cliff, and then God will catch you. 
that the, he'll send his angels and, and you'll be fine. And Jesus responds, no, I'm not supposed to test or tempt the Lord my God. Yet this one place in Malachi, God invites us to test him. And what is it in? It's in giving to him. He says, you give to me and you will see that the blessing that will be returned to you will be way greater than the amount that you gave me. It's awesome. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 through 10 says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with their first fruits of your increase. And so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with what you have, whether that's, that's giving here and tithe or whether that's sharing when you're at home, whether that's you're at lunch at school and, and someone doesn't have lunch and so you can split half your sandwich and you do it in the name of Jesus and you say, okay, God bless you. That God sees those things and God honors those things. And, and I mean, no one here, I don't think, has any barns. Does anyone have a barn at home? That'd be cool, but your friend does, all right. You see, it's not that you have to have a barn and God's going to fill it. It's that your life will be full of blessings. And that's not always necessarily material things, uh, but God will, will do that. He promises. And so uh, just in conclusion today, what is true worship? We saw a few different things. We saw that worship is not just about music, that it's a, it's a position of not just our physical position, but our, our heart position, that it literally means to bow down before the Lord, to show that he is God, that he is above us. We saw that, that we are the temple of the living God, and, and no matter what we do or where we go, we can worship him, not just by song, not just by money, but by every action, by every deed, by the most simplest things in life. But we saw those two specific ways that we talked about for the most of the time that we had today was singing, that music and giving, that it's not about the physical thing. It's not about the words that you say. It's not about the hand up high. It's not about the amount of money that you give. It's what is your heart behind it? Is your heart to worship him? And so today that when we worship him, that it would be in spirit and truth, that truly the words that we sing would match up to the life that we live. So, Sean, you guys, you can, come, you can come out here. You can hit the lights. But as we come to this time of worship, just think about everything that we just talked about and put it into action. You guys can stand up. You guys can stand. We're, we're done. You guys can close your Bibles, put your pens down. Uh, we're going to now enter into a time of worship. And it's going to be something you're going to be able to put in practice what we just talked about. And so... Uh, It'll be easy to be distracted. It'll be easy. Your mind will wander, and the enemy would love you, love to just have you uh, waste away this time. But as we come to this time, bow down before him. Whether I mean, you can physically bow. I, that'd be awesome. Or within your heart, that you're willing to say that you are God and you deserve the praise, that you are worthy of everything. And so I want to share with you guys one last verse. This is Hebrews 13, 15. It says, therefore, by him. By Christ, he says, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, sometimes worship is a sacrifice. Maybe you guys are tired from staying up late watching Netflix last night. And so now all you really want to do is just go eat lunch. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe you just want to sit down. And so worship sometimes within song, it can be a sacrifice. That you have to sacrifice uh, your comfort. Maybe you'll have to sacrifice being a little embarrassed by raising your hand or something. You don't have to be because this is, we're here together. We're here for one reason and it's for Jesus. And so 
Uh, let us not think about what our neighbor's saying to the left or to the right or what they're thinking. Let us come to him and let us worship him because he is good, all right? God, we just come before you and we thank you for this time uh, that we can have just, just seeing your word and seeing what it says about worship. We ask that you would help us to have hearts of worship, that it wouldn't just be now in the songs that we sing, but as we go on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, as we go back to our homes and our, we're with our friends and our family, that we would be thinking of you. Then every action, we would do it for you and our lives would be for you and not for ourselves. But we do come in this intentional time of just wanting to lift you high. Lord, truly that this would be a time that we would decrease, God, but you would increase. Lord, you are our God. We are here for you. And so as we just sing the different words that we're gonna sing in a second, would you just be glorified? We just want you to be pleased, God. We want you to be pleased with us. In Jesus' name, amen.